Hello, and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 17. Chris, hey, how's it going? It's going all right. This week was uh, interesting. We can start talking about that, but I did things I shouldn't do, and they might be productive, and they might not be in the future, but uh, (laughs) it was not finishing up Acorn Chat. So I feel both uh, good about doing something that is hopefully productive, but also bad about not finishing the thing I said I was going to finish. I like I like leading into that with saying you did things you shouldn't do. That <laughs> sounds uh, unnecessarily naughty. <laughs> Should, All right, shouldn't do based on my goals. I'll put it that way. Okay, good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something I'd, I'd love to talk to you about because uh, I also worked on things I uh, shouldn't have been doing. Of uh, from our hot takes episode last week. Uh, just dove headfirst into one of the projects we talked about of doing this book reader because that was the one I was most excited about doing and I wanted to work on it the most and so I did and I took like two days and just okay for these two days I'm going to make this thing happen this is uh, accomplishing several things at once I'm uh, getting to read this book that doesn't have an audiobook that I've been wanting to read forever don't shoot the dog it's about training uh, ostensibly about animals but then sort of applying that psychology to anyone you're interacting with and i love making things i love playing with firebase and making apps and i get to practice blatantly stealing your uh, playbook of when you did the the sass in the week from you and sort of doing that myself uh so i'd i'd also like to chat about <laughs> the thing that i did uh that was was not the thing uh, I should be doing. <laughs> yeah. Small moment aside, though, before we dig into this, we have published two to the fourth episodes of Makers.dev. It makes a nice little square, and that's really cool. And another fun uh, superlative of our podcast, we are apparently the number one entrepreneurship podcast in Albania. <laughs> shout so that's cool. Shout out to our Albanian listeners there. If you if you are in Albania currently listening to this, I would love to talk to you. I I really want to know like what's the I don't think I know anything about the country of Albania. I think it's in the Eastern Europe area. Yeah. Yeah, so we um when I was growing up actually in Michigan, we had some refugees from Albania there. There was a political like strife and they were political refugees. Um, so I know cool. a little bit based on that interaction, but that was in the nineties. All right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious to know, like, is there something we're doing that's especially attractive to people in Albania? Like, I think it's just, Oh man, people, people doing what they shouldn't be doing, uh, is just that, that, uh, resonates with the, the people in Albania. Yeah. I think it's uh, just, um, it's mostly kind of random. I think so. I, I experienced this when I wrote, uh, iOS apps also, you'll get like a breakdown by country what your rank is in certain categories. And I made it to like number one or two on the music chart in um, uh, what we'll call them countries I didn't expect, you know, and I I don't know that there's a rhyme or reason, you know, like you showed up in, you know, Apple's uh, algorithm that week. And so you got a lot of downloads for no particular reason, I think, but yeah, that's, that makes the most sense. Like it it would be unusual if we weren't ranked number one in some country, just because of the law of random numbers and things. And, it, it may be that like it's one random dude in Albania who like recommended this podcast to one other person right. and now they're downloading all the episodes and I I don't know maybe the, I don't know nothing about the podcast market maybe the podcast market in Albania is small enough that that is enough to make it uh, the number one but uh, it's cool <laughs> I'm gonna make us t-shirts that say I have the number one entrepreneurship podcast in Albania <laughs> I can 
we can wear them around. Uh, let's talk about what you got into this last week. Uh, last episode, we talked about how you were going to dive into this machine learning project for fun. And uh, I assume that's the work that you should not have been doing, but uh, wanted to. That's right. Yeah. So I kind of set as my goals last week to finish up Acorn Chat to a point where it was, we'll say, 100% um, active. Uh, right right now it's like you know 80% there or so and like all software projects the remaining 20% is going to take up another 80% of the time right that's yep. how it works uh, yep. you know but it it's functional but not to the point where I want it to yet so my goal was to get that functional um, instead of doing any of that I uh, started doing more and more machine learning and AI research um, I do this every couple of years so I, I studied AI in college some and every year or so I'll go through all the latest like stuff that's happened so I did that this year, um, or I did that about about a year ago. I did that this year, just recently with that GAN course. And um, and I went through most of the GAN course. I still have about half of it to go. It's, it's like three courses, it's, it's specialization. And um, I was just got so excited again about it um, that I started, I, I realized I wanted to make some changes to the GAN, but in order to do that, I had to deep, more deeply understand like the math, especially uh, more than I have before. Because before I've done things where I basically glued you know, the programming bits together. I'm a programmer. I can figure out the libraries kind of, you know, I can glue the different things together, but to understand really, especially GANs, cause they're very math, like, like the reason why they work is very math heavy. Um, I, I had to go learn some more statistics. So we talked about probability and statistics last time. Uh, so I did some of that. I watched the whole thing about linear algebra and I've started a thing about multivariable, multivariable calculus. Um, and That's so, cool. yeah, so it's all stuff that like, because I want to understand the math behind GANs, I have to do all this like stuff I haven't done since college. So that's all the stuff I probably shouldn't have done. It's no no immediate benefit, um, but it will help me in the future, like at least with this GAN course. So yeah, that's what I did. Generational, it's it's generational adversarial networks. Yep. Is GAN, is that right? Okay. The, what What are the sort of problems that that can solve. I also did a, a little tiny amount of uh, AI stuff. I, I think you studied it much more deeply than me, but I, I just sort of skimmed the surface and didn't immediately see a use for it. I saw like, oh, okay, you can you can like recognize characters, but I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm going to use Google's uh, OCR uh, API or like Tesseract or something. Uh, and oh, okay, I could see theoretically how you could potentially build this up into doing something like. I don't know speech recognition or like playing chess, but I'm not the one who's going to be doing that. I'm I'm going to be outsourcing that to like the the Firebase AI thing. Uh, what's what's like the the category of problems that you see that this tool would be useful for? Yeah, so GANs or any generative um, uh, approach has, I would say it hasn't exactly found its uh, like enterprise footing yet. Um, there's lots of very potential interesting things with it, um, but a lot of we don't know a lot about how GANs work yet, and so some of it is coming. Um, so, but I'll go through the the possible um, things you could use it for. So, the most basic thing is just creating things. So, if you want to create, especially like creative things like artwork and stuff like that, mm. you can do that, and you know, with with any of the generative approaches like GANs. Um, but that's not that doesn't have much enterprise value. Some of the business things would be things like, say, you don't have enough data for to, to train your machine learning algorithm. If you first trained a GAN to create more data, then maybe you could use that to better train your um, machine learning algorithm. So, mm, okay. 
Now there are some problems with that. Like why would a GAN be able to create data that you could then use to train another neural network? Why don't you just, but there's some uh, interesting um, research in that area right now. Um, another thing is things like uh, privacy concerns. So say you have, you know, a million radiology images, um, but you can trace those pe back to people. Instead, mm -hmm. you could use a GAN to learn the, the, like a function basically for how to create new radiology images. So you create a million more that are not tied to people. And then you can use those to train your, you know, radiology neural network. Um, so in that way, you could like share a medical data set, which cannot be tied back to a specific person, but has all mm -hmm. of the properties of the original data set. Um, so that's another one. That's cool. Um, there are of like the, uh, the, the deep fake. Uh, there's a website, I think, like people who don't exist. Yes, this person does not exist. That is a GAN. Yes. Uh, deep fakes are GANs. And so if you want to talk about all of the scary different bits of AI, most of them are GANs. So that's very interesting. Um, there's another one. So when, when you combine multiple GANs together, you can create what's called a cycle GAN. And the first, like, uh, the first people who did this made a GAN that turned uh, horses into zebras and zebras back into horses. Um, cool. So that's interesting, but you could think about doing that with any bit of data, like any image, any bit of data, you know, so you can change something that is sort of like something into that other thing and you don't need a bunch of paired data. So it's like a semi-supervised or it's like a um, you, uh, way to ch change so something of one class into something of another class. Um, so all those are like super interesting. I don't, I don't think the, the, you know, potential economic like value of them has been fully realized yet, but it's just really, really interesting. But I'm sitting on this. The library of horse pictures. <laughs> right. If only I had more zebra pictures. The market's craving more zebras. Uh, okay, that's 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 very interesting. That's got my wheels turning. How approachable is this as a technology? Like, if you if you sat down after this course and wanted to, from scratch, make something that could turn apples into oranges in pictures because you figured out, ah, there's this meme of oranges and I just need more pictures of oranges. Is that something you could do? My, I think my current conception of uh, the category of AI things is that it's not, it's not accessible to the like JavaScript uh, developer type uh, skill set that I feel like I, I <laughs> most embody. That this like, I, I think I think my current approach is that this is better left to researchers. Like, I am. I'm situating myself as the person who would use the API that was created by one of the researchers who used scans of, okay, once people who don't exist, the API exists. Now I can use that for some application, but I, I don't, it doesn't feel to me approachable that I could have made something like that. Uh, how do you conceptualize that? Is, is yeah. this something that now you feel like you could do yourself? It's, it's sort of somewhere in between there, I think. So you definitely need to have a very basic understanding of like, what a matrix is and like how you can combine them and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. but because there, there are just so much material now to learn it, you can learn. So fast.ai is the course I would recommend for anyone who doesn't really like math, but wants to get into this stuff because they have a very code centric approach. There's different approaches. Basically you can learn the math first, which does not appeal to most people, um, or you can learn the code first. So fast.ai is a code first approach. And basically in the first lesson of fast.ai, you make a network that will classify dogs and cats. Um, wow. Which is super interesting, okay, right? That's cool. Yeah. Um, now, uh, but the reason I say it's somewhere in between is because it's basically using, so fast.ai has written a library on top of another library called PyTorch. So PyTorch is like the lower level library. Fast.ai is a higher, higher level library. And you basically use the fast.ai library. So it's like using an API, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then you feed it data of cats and dogs, and then you tell it to recognize them. Um, okay. So it's kind of like using a, uh, an API. 
But by the end of that course, you've made a GAN through that course, basically. So they teach you how to make a GAN using these building blocks. So it's like learning building blocks to build it up. Um, and, and that's awesome. Like, so that's what I did before. Uh, I did the fast AI course. I made a GAN through that. Now though, if you want to dig deeper, that's when you have to start understanding the math. So you're right that as soon as you get towards like figuring out why something doesn't train correct, like, like you get just a couple layers deeper and then that's when like it helps to be like an AI researcher. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Um, but if you just want to use like off the shelf libraries and off the shelf, um, things even, and you can get surprisingly deep without knowing much of the math, just knowing programming. Um, and it's all in Python because Python has a lot of language, the libraries, um, but there is tensorflow.js also. Mm -hmm. So you can use pre-trained models in JavaScript. Um, yeah, so it, it's a little both, I would say. Neat. Okay. This, this sounds much more approachable than I thought it would be. I'm blown away that in the first lesson you can make a GAN that can not, not categorize a, cats not, and dogs. Not a GAN, just a neural network that can categorize cats and dogs. Just a neural network. Yeah. Yes, because a generational adversarial network would have to be generating some type of new thing. So you, that would be like a thing of we can make new cat, new pictures of cats. Exactly. Which I think you said over the over the whole course. Yep. After, at the end of the course, you could, yep. you could make one of those. A, a GAN is basically two neural networks okay. back to back. Um, and so, yeah. Neat. Okay. Oh, that's kind of cool. It's like the two hemispheres of your brain maybe there's a connection <laughs> there or something <laughs> fighting each other and that makes them stronger interesting okay maybe it's time for me to open this up again um because the problem of categorization if you can if you can in the first lesson this is not gans now but just like general ai if if you can if you can categorize images training those off a set that that feels like the sort of problem that i would encounter more um Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Once you learn the basics, it basically becomes a data problem. How do you get enough data? How do you clean your data? How do you, so right. a lot of it becomes data problems, uh, especially because data sets exist in the real world. They're almost all like super dirty. They have blank values everywhere they have, you know, yeah. so you have to clean up your data and that is actually harder than doing the actual classification. Sure. And then again, is a solution to that problem. Again, would let you create an infinite data sets. Pot potentially. Re the, okay. ju the jury's still out on that one. <laughs> okay. Cause you're, you're basically, so a GAN is basically two neural networks. So like why, you know, the intuition for why two neural networks would be able to create more data that, that you could then use in another neural network, like versus just feeding in, like letting the other neural network do all the work. It's, it's not immediately clear why a GAN would work to do that. Uh, but some people have made it work, which suggests that there's a reason why it would work. And we just have to figure out that reason. Spooky. How cool is this? We're, we're like uncovering. It feels much more like discovery than it does invention of like yeah. we're we're discovering the patterns of how you make an artificial mind. Uh, it, it, I'm a little spooked at, at your phrasing of like we don't understand why this works yet. That's <laughs> uh, cool. What a what a futuristic world. Uh, I'd love to dig into your framing of this. That uh, I, I think you said something along the lines of like you should have been working on Acorn Chat. <laughs> uh, what's behind that this it seems like this was a very fruitful research project and like you don't have a, a immediate application for how to use gans but that this is sharpening your tool set and bringing in this new skill of okay now in the future if you have this problem of needing to generate more data you, you've got this thing much more readily available and you're, you're familiar with what, the, what those problems look like uh what's what's behind feeling like you should have done something else yeah so i mentioned this to you a little bit which is I had this thing, which I told myself I was going to finish, and I did this other thing instead. And I find mm. this happening kind of a lot. So I'll get 80% done with something, 
I will be able to look and see the finish line and say, oh, I, I know how this is going to end up. And then I'll be like, okay, now I can switch to something else and not actually finish the, the thing. Um, and that is a behavior that I've noticed in myself that I want to change. And so it, I disappointed myself by not finishing Acorn Chat instead going to this other thing, even though you know, this other thing is super interesting, obviously very valuable. But you know, I, I had told myself before that I should finish Acorn Chat. So that's what I wanted to do and didn't. Um, and that's why I yeah, frame it that way. This is like the core problem of my life. <laughs> and I've fluctuated in the strategy I use to approach it. I think I've gone through periods where uh, I'm, I'm feeling particularly tyrannical towards myself. And I'm like, no, Christian, the thing you're going to do, you're going to sit down today and you're going to go through all of your emails and that's all you're going to do. Uh, and then I have gone through cycles of sort of rebelling against that. I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't need to do that. I'm going to go and read a book for the next four days. I'm just going to read the, all of the books in this Mistborn series. Ooh, a small aside. The Mistborn series, so good. Oh, my gosh. It's talking about all these alimantic powers and, like, storing powers in metal. And I'm reading it like, oh, it's just like the real world, how you can store strength in metal because that's like a battery. And, oh, you can store information in copper or whatever. Oh, that's just like computer memory. Anyway. Uh, and I don't know what... A, I don't, I, I have not yet found the strategy to, to best harness my energy in that because I felt what it's like to be too on the side of tyrannical of like, if there are things that I think I should be doing and I just have to push myself through doing them, that's, that's too structured. That's too orderly because inevitably what I realized is like, oh, I didn't even want to be working on this thing. Like the direction that this was taking me in was not aligned with my bigger goals. I was, I was working on this project because like, I don't know, I, I thought it would make me rich and successful and uh, make all the ladies want me. And that's like not actually the thing that brings me long-term life fulfillment. Uh, and then I've been on the side of too creative and too unordered where I, I feel like that feels like everything's just just too fragmented and like I'm, I'm jumping around so much that i'm not pushing anything forward and uh that that tends to push me more towards like the the shorter term like dopamine hit looking for youtube videos to watch and uh whatever it gets me the quickest thing and i'm i'm still trying to figure out what that navigation is uh at, at this moment in my life uh i'm a little too far on the side of creative i think because there's some lower level things like email. I'm just <laughs> embarrassingly behind on. Uh, that's and and that that's a thing that I want to do that I can justify to myself in a longer term. Like I like myself more when I'm able to to get this thing done. That is not really exciting, but it's a thing that I need to get done. Uh, and I I am very energized by working on the thing that is interesting and exciting to me in the moment. But if I'm if I'm not carving aside any time for doing that longer term work, uh, that's, that's not enough. Uh, and I do feel very energized by the, the exciting work that I'm doing. Uh, so I bringing that home. I think, I think I have surprised myself in that my ideal balance is much further on the creative laissez faire side than I thought it was. Um, it's, it's feeling like the ideal balance is something like, I have, you know, an hour of work that I do that I push forward. That's the structured work that I'm not necessarily excited about, but like, that's the work that gets done every day. And the rest of the day is unstructured and, uh, just like, okay, what am I excited about today? Learning about GANs. Cool. That's what I'm going to do. The difficulty that I'm personally having though, is like, 
if I start a day structured, it's really difficult for me to harness that creative energy again. Mm. If if I ride that wave of like, I wake up and I, ooh, I have this idea for this project and I go on a walk about it and I write down my ideas about it and I'm like, oh, okay, this is great. That, that can flow directly into, now I'm just working on that thing for the next 10 hours. And starting the day with more structured work sort of derails me from that process. And then I feel disconnected from the, the wave of excitement. And ending the day with the structured work is difficult for me because I don't want the creative work to stop. I want it to keep going. And then I sort of like ride myself into the ground and then I have no energy and I'm decision fatigue at the end. And so I don't know what to do about that. I don't know if maybe I just set aside a day and that for that day, I do the whatever seven, seven hours of structured work. And the, that day is the one structured day that I set aside. Uh, maybe I do something in the middle, but it's, this, this is also a problem that I face. I don't, I don't have a solution to it yet. Yeah. Yeah, everything you talked about is stuff that I've grappled with in the past and tried in the past and, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, uh, kids change this formula because I at 5 o'clock, that's dinner time, and my kids run into my office and <laughs> yell dinner. And so um, <laughs> that has forced me to stop things at 5, whereas before I may, you know, continue. So that helps to break up the day a little, I guess. Um, it, it, it's actually a good thing, I think, to stop and, you know. Uh, so And then after they go to bed, you know, I can have more time to, you know, do whatever research or something. Um mm-hmm that I want to do after that. I usually don't do any, you know, hardcore work in the, in the evening. Uh, it's more like watching, um, li- like after say eight o'clock or so, it's more like watching videos or reading a book or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, par- part of it's COVID too. So I've noticed my attention span just go out the window during COVID some. Um, yeah. so I will jump between things much more easily now than I would a year ago. Mm. Yeah. We've, we've touched on different things around this problem a few times before. I think, and talking through this for me, the, the the biggest problem that I can point to right now in my own life is email. Of like, I, I haven't cleaned out the to-dos in my inbox for, I think, two and a half months. There's And there's some, like, it's not all, it's there's nothing in there that's bad. Right. It's like, uh, I, I had one email in there from my accountant, which is always a little anxiety-inducing for me. But, like, I, I picked that one out specifically and handled it two weeks ago. And, like, that, that fire is put out. It's just this, like... I don't know. I think starting it is hard and uh, getting into it and then the the flow of it, there's a little bit of friction because I don't like the Gmail interface. There's some things I want to change about it. So that was part of the idea I talked with you about last week of building my own interf- interface, I think would would help with that problem. I don't know. And I was jamming on it for a long time because I had this beautiful morning routine of like, okay, I go for a walk and then I eat breakfast and then I meditate and then that immediately flows into the emails that I'm doing. And I broke that routine apart, which has opened up now this this wellspring of creativity of now I'm I'm starting a lot of new projects and pushing forward stuff and uh, like a lot of the clipstop marketing development that I've done I think would not have happened if I was still doing email every day that that required a lot of open space to, to be able to happen um, and I I don't know I don't know the best course of action to tune that dial just a little bit further and like okay <laughs> like right. you don't have to check your email every day but once a week is the amount of time that would be appropriate to, to be doing these things um i don't know what that looks like that i, I think a, a potential source for me to correct that might be making the email front end for gmail that that we talked about last week and because now that would be exciting again that would be like oh man i can do whatever i want with email okay well this is fun because uh, you know i want to be able to i want to be able to cluster emails by the sender and then sort those so I can process them from the oldest to the earliest. Right. Because if I can cluster them by sender, those are like a particular type of email, so I can I can go through those quickly. And then some of them, 
I want to cluster like, you know, I have, I have newsletters that are all processed in the same way. I want to make like a cluster for that. Uh, and superhuman sort of does this, but not in the way that I want. <laughs> like, uh, I, there's a very particular, like yeah. I want it to work in this very particular way. Uh, and, and if it worked like that, it would, it would be much smoother. Uh, that, that might be the way for me forward. If, if nothing else, uh, learning how to make a Gmail plugin would force you to look at your email. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so you would have to open your email to make the plugin. Yes, so exactly. Maybe that's something. I think that's how I trick myself. Maybe that's the that's the compromise I'll make of like, you still get your creative. Like this is a project that I'm excited about, and I can follow this wave of enthusiasm of I have these ideas of how I want email to work differently, and I'm also using that to accomplish this longer term goal of uh, getting through email more. Um, okay, yeah, I think I think that's what I'm going to do to correct this for myself. And then that's a fun way to have more structure. If it's an app that if it's an app that I have made for myself, that's right. I, I can accept that much more than I can of like, okay, Christian, you have to do email because otherwise you're a terrible, irresponsible person. Uh, if instead that framing was, ah, I get to do email with my new email app, and how fun is this? And ooh, I feel this point of frustration in the way that this is working, and I can fix it. Uh, that would that would feel really cool. Yeah. And maybe we'll transition this into, maybe you could uh, build it in public, which you did this week for <laughs> your yes. book reader. You want to talk about that? That was so much fun. So I blatantly stole it from you. That, the, the that was awesome. exact thing that you were doing, I was trying to do it. And I think it was a very poor facsimile. Like your videos were very well polished and taught something in each one and were very clear. And rewatching mine, like it's the ramblings of a madman. <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> referencing things that don't make any sense to anyone but me because I'm just like <laughs> pulling things out of my thought process without actually explaining them uh and yet i enjoyed that so much that was just so much fun even if no one watched them for me to have this regular check-in of like oh i just finished this nice little milestone and i'm not quite sure what to work on next oh and so i'll, I'll record a little video about it and with camhead and my whole process for making those videos it's just frictionless now of like i hit three keyboard shortcuts uh that's not quite true i i want those three shortcuts to be a single thing and i can just say like ah recording blah 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 and recording and it gets processed and uh uploaded maybe if it, if it gets uploaded somewhere uh so i'm not quite there but like it's it's very frictionless um very frictionless it has very little <laughs> friction right. uh it is not quite frictionless and i love that as a as a development process i think i'm gonna integrate that into everything i do because now there's this extra bonus for me of like people are giving me feedback on the thing that I'm building as I'm building it and had some really good ideas that I can now integrate in this thing of like, oh, I could do AI summarization was one of the ideas someone gave me on Twitter. Uh, I'll link that in the show notes. That's a great idea. That's an idea that I didn't come up with that I would love to integrate into this that I think would be perfect because I have this structure now of a, a book is organized into nodes and I can, uh, I, I could very easily at a, a parent node collect all of the child's content and then push that to an api that could summarize it for me and then that could be there right alongside as i am as a human trying to summarize the thing i love that uh and if this was a thing that i think had more market appeal like i can imagine if i was building a thing like for accountants and then like you know the, the next version of file inbox with this file upload world thing if i did that more in public and was publishing videos of every stage of development well great now some accountants might have some ideas about that and, and would also get excited about the product and if i had an email where they could sign up for a wait list great now now they can do that too i feel like this this advice of you know, build in public i hear everywhere and it's it's sort of trite at this point well of course you, you okay you charge more and you build in public and you talk to <laughs> right. your customers whatever and i feel like this is the first time that i've fully embodied that idea of I, I think this is what it looks like for me to be working in public uh it, it's a process that worked 
incredibly well for me. Uh, that, you know, even though the videos were bad, it still accomplished those goals. And even if no one watched them, it would still be worthwhile for me to do this. Uh, as a check-in when I'm doing the work, and also, it's so much fun for me to go back and see. Oh my gosh, you know, in video number three, I was sort of abstractly thinking about, well, I'm going to have this problem, and I'm not quite sure how to solve it. And then in video five, it's solved. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so excited in the video, showing how I solved it. Uh, I, I really like that method of working. Uh, I think you... I think you stumbled on a, a really cool model of how to build things. Uh, yeah. Thank you for doing that. Take it away. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Uh, the same thing happened when I did it too. Like, uh, it, was, it was super interesting. One, it was a sort of check-in for me. It was, uh, it helped me continue to push the project forward because I knew I had to put out these videos. Um, and also people like kind of came out of the woodwork to talk to me. I mean, not, not many, but the feedback I got was very directed and very specific. And it was kind of feedback I would have not never gotten, even if I did like client calls, you know, like I try to, you know, call up customers um, or potential customers, like, mm. you know, this was just very specific feedback about specific steps. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a really good experience. There's a statistic I heard too of, uh, it, it's something like, I think it's called the, the law of tens or something of like, if you have one content creator, you have... 10 people that will engage with that content somehow, like leave a comment or, or give feedback. And you have 100 people that are interested in it and you have 1,000 people who are exposed to it. Hmm. So yes, of course, like only a handful of people reached out to me directly with feedback of how this thing helped and uh, only a handful of people reached out to you of uh, specific feedback of, of things you were building and maybe interest in the product. And it's fun for me to imagine, like, probably at least 10 times more people than interacted with the thing were exposed to it and interested in it. And, and 10 times more people than that saw the thing that I was making. So, uh, you know, I, I think I had, like, roughly 10 people engage with the thing that I was making. Uh, and I had, like, 100 people, I'm sure, that were, like, interested in it and would might be early adopters. And then the stats that I'm seeing on the video are, like, thousands of people saw uh the the first video at least so like and how much better is that than like, <laughs> this is a thing that you just built in your code cave right and then one day randomly you, you make one tweet about it and then you're like ah no one looked at this thing well of course you, you didn't grease the pipe at all you're like people if you would if you would stoke the flames and uh gotten people more involved in your creative process uh, you, you could have captured much more of that much bigger audience of the of the thousands of people as opposed to the the one or two early adopters that uh, will bite on a, a particular tweet. Um, it, th this model makes sense on so many conceptual levels and frameworks for me. Yeah. Um, Twitter analytics, it, like you good. pointed out, is a really stark, it's like it's a place where this is highlighted really well because, yeah, like you can see how many people watched your video and it's way more than the people who liked it. Um, mm -hmm. Same thing with like, so if you get on the front page of Hacker News, like you'll get, you know, a hundred likes and, you know, 10,000 visits to your website or something mm -hmm. like that. Like it's just an, you know, order or two orders magnitude more people will, will be, see it and be exposed to it than actually mm -hmm. engage with it. Um, yeah. It feels good. So I guess the next thing I'm going to do this with is, uh, the email thing. Uh, and we'll <laughs> have a bunch of videos about it. I wanted to mention briefly also the... The, the the concept that you're struggling with of like that there's work that you know you should be doing on Anchor Chat or work, work that you feel like you should be doing and uh, I'm, I'm noticing feelings of guilt of not working on that thing. With this book reader, I feel like I perfectly rode this wave of enthusiasm that I had about it of like I had this idea that had 
it was it was the culmination of a, a bunch of ideas about how to read a book that I've had over the last several years. And I was able to condense that into this two-day period where I'm working on this thing and pop something out that works most of the time. Uh, or that, that solves most of those things, that addresses uh, a lot of the ideas that I'd had. And it's unclear at this point what the next step is. And I think the correct action to take here is to just let it sit and let it incubate and wait until the next wave of enthusiasm. And while it's happening, ride other waves of enthusiasm. And I think if, if I was looking at this as me being the boss of myself, that's roughly how I would want to allocate my energy. I would want to be, I would want to be working on the things that I was most excited about at the time that, that I had built up the most pressure about because now that's the most straightforward work that I have across the spectrum of work that I could be doing. Um, and so if I'm, if I'm only working on the places where I'm most effective, which tends to line up pretty well with what I feel excited about, uh, that, that seems to me that I'll have the maximum output over the course of my life. Uh, if I tried to like hammer home and tie myself to the mass and be like, okay, like I, I have to get this thing to a point where other people can use it. Uh, that's my arbitrary goal that I've set for myself. I could do that, but it, I think I would be so much less effective than if I, in that same period of time, got 80% of the way there on this email app and then also built this prototype for file inbox and then also built this uh, text service of uh, giving positive feedback to people. Uh, I think I, I prefer the world where I'm only working on things when I'm excited about them and riding those waves because I think that maximizes my output. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I feel too. Um, in, in this case with acorn chat, one, like my long, my medium term ish goal, I would say is to like, one of the reasons I built this specifically is to find out how the Slack app store works, like find out mm -hmm. how, you know, leads come in and things like that. And what I need to do and to do that is finish it, uh, and then make the enough marketing material that I can put it in the Slack app store and then wait a few months. Um, so what I see is I, kn I know I'm going to have to wait a few months to really see how the traffic from the Slack app store affects things. Mm -hmm. So I really want to get those first few, um, steps complete so that I can then wait a few months. And that's why I think I felt more guilty because it's like, I have, I have some hard work in front of me before I know that I'm going to have to wait, you know, and then I will know my next step. Then if I okay. put off those hard steps right now, then I'm just gonna have to put off those, you know, the two months of waiting even further, um, yeah. to find out the thing that I started this for. So I think that's where some of that extra guilt comes from. I can see that. I think the, the opposing argument to the one that I'm making is that this is much more about discipline. This is much more about dealing with the fear of rejection and failure. Mm -hmm. of, right. uh, okay. The, the, the steps are very straightforward. You know exactly what you would need to do next. And once you get to that point, it would, it would be finished in a way that you could fail. It would be finished in a way that like, okay, now you can see that no one's downloading your thing and that would feel bad. Uh, and sort of being in more of this in-between space is like, okay, well, no one's using it because they can't. And, uh, that, that doesn't feel as bad. Uh, so I think that the counter argument to what I'm saying is you, you, you do need a force of being able to push forward on work that you want to be able to do. Uh, I need more of a force of getting email done, uh, even though I don't want to do it. Uh, okay. That, yeah. It, it also frustrates me because there have been times in my life where I have been like relentless about doing things, even if I didn't want to do them. And mm -hmm. so it sort of frustrates me that I'm not even able to like work on something that I, I do want to work on it, you know? Um, but I just kind of want to play around with AI more. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I think in my own life, I noticed that the most when I find myself 
on YouTube much more or if I find myself just completely sucked into a game, uh, that's not work that I need to be doing. That work is useful in pulling me out of uh, feeling more lethargic and not excited about things because at, at least it's a thing that I could be doing. I, I would rather, you know, set my mind to practicing how to optimize for a game than you know, stare in bed at the ceiling and <laughs> think about existentialism. Uh, but that's, that's not a state, that's not a steady state. That's not a state that I want to be in. I, I would much rather be pushing forward, like building things. Um, hmm. Hmm. My takeaway from this podcast has been, I need to go tackle my email. <laughs> this, this is, this has become a problem that I uh, feel shameful about. Uh, I would love to run through a little mini episode of some hot takes because I do it again. loved that before. Uh, I have three ideas that I would love to just bounce off you and get your hot takes. First one is I have a bunch of paper from that, that's followed me around in my life. Uh, and I was able to tackle most of it when I had a friend who was living close by that had this really nice scanner. It was like the $300 scanner that could just chew through papers it was like 300 pages a minute that this thing could churn through and so i had these huge boxes of papers and i was able to get through most of those and it was just backbreaking work it, like the if if it was a thing that was bound i i cut off the binding and fed it through and uh put that all in dropbox and i recently discovered at my parents house this other cache of paper that has been in my life that like i think this is the last paper that i have claimed to on earth uh, and so if I can just get rid of this last bit of paper, I, I have no more paper. And then I'm just dealing with stuff as it comes in. Uh, one of the reasons I love virtual mailboxes is that I, it's, I never see the paper. It's like, it gets delivered to this address and then it scans it. And then I say shred it and then it's gone. I love it. And so I haven't looked too much into this. I, I don't think this is a thing at all that I would want to start myself. Uh, but it's a thing that I want to exist of like, I want a service that I could just say, here's a box of stuff. And some of it's paper and some of it's bound with staples and some of it's like a, a pamphlet and some of it's like a book. And I want all of it scanned and titled with a reasonable title. And I want to pay you per page or something. And I don't think that's a thing that exists. Uh, and I just want them to like dump it into my Dropbox. What's your hot take? And the perfect hot take here would be Christian. This is a service that exists. It's scan all your stuff dot dev. Uh, and and it's over here. Uh, and if it doesn't exist, like I, I want it to exist. I don't think I want to be the person to start it. Um, yeah. All right. So the hot take is this does exist, but yes. Oh, but only for enterprises. As far as I know, no. uh, enterprises have an enterprise. I have a, I have an LLC <laughs> enterprises have millions of pages, um, that they need digitized. So yeah. giant companies like iron mountain, uh, handle paper. They, they scan it, they shred it, they get rid of it. They, um, so this is a thing that exists. Um, I know because I've used, so some of them, um, also my wife used to work for, uh, a giant healthcare company that had a service kind of like this. Um, they take care of your, your paper. Um, but they charge, you know, a whole ton of money for it. I don't know of anything that exists for personal use. Although what I have seen before is d this for photos. So good, fast photo scanners are expensive. And so there exist services that will digitize your photos. Maybe they do paper too. Um, and then the other th way that I've seen this, uh, solved is a like high schooler will buy a $300 photo scanner and then go to people's houses and scan their photos. 
maybe oh, you could hire a high schooler. You could, you know, hire a high schooler to just do the work, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, come sit in my house and do what I tell you, <laughs> you know, just do this stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, pay them 15 bucks an hour and, you know, they'll they'll do it. Uh, maybe that's an angle, you know? And then I could just buy the scanner. Yeah. Oh, or, that's or, a really good idea. Or rent it or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or buy it and, and then sell, sell it. it. Yeah. My brother was just talking with me about that he wants to drop out of college and start a business. Maybe uh, maybe this is how I do it. Maybe I'm like, hey, I would love to invest $300 in your business to buy you this really nice scanner. You buy the scanner and then have him do yeah. yours for free to learn how it works, yes. right? And <laughs> then give it to him. That's right. Then, <laughs> I'm doing him a favor. And then pull you can... <laughs> a, pull a Tom Sawyer uh, That's right. or Huckleberry Fair, whichever, whichever one that was. And then you give him the scanner at the end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I like going door to door and saying like, what things do you have to scan? Because I have all the infrastructure to, to scan it up. Because like, he could just go through our neighborhood probably and uh, leave a flyer on the door and be like, hey, I know you have a whole bunch of photo albums and you probably have a whole bunch of pictures of, uh, or you, you probably have a bunch of boxes of paper that you would rather have in cloud storage so that it's not following you around. Here's my rate. And I live five minutes away and you might already know me because I have lived right here most of my life. Uh, so you can trust me. And then he's started a business. That's a really good idea. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think that's exactly how I'm going to put it forward. And that solves my problem too. <laughs> I'm not being the person to start this business because Lord knows I right. do not want it to have, like, this is a, this is a valuable problem. I think, uh, and a difficult one to solve because you have to handle physical things. Uh, I am I'm like allergic to businesses that involve any sort of physical yep. thing. Having having tasted the sweet ambrosia of I can make money just by moving bits around on the internet and I never touch a, a physical thing. I have no employees. I have no warehouses or anything. I can't go back. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's so good. Uh, okay, cool. Next idea. Uh, sometimes this is a small one. Google locks down your account and kicks you out, and you don't know why. And I see these frightful pleas from people on Twitter of like, does anyone know any from one from Gmail? Because I've just lost my entire life and all of my Gmail and uh, which is my access to everything else. And they didn't tell me why. And I don't know how to get it back. That's something that I'm just like a low simmer really concerned about because I like the way that I develop apps is now moving to Firebase. And I think the way around that is make two Google accounts and give secondary mm. access to the other one if, if my main one gets shut down. But like, my Gmail address is my main email for all my bank accounts. And I don't like that. And I think the way around that is I just buy my own email domain and have that be only a receiving domain. So I don't really care about reputation or whatever. Uh, and have that be the email address that's associated with all my bank accounts. And then that's just like the, the only job of that email address is to receive the we're, we're confirming that you are you or password reset emails or something. Uh, and also I have a lot of emails that I would not want to lose access to in my Gmail of like, since I think I've had a Gmail account for like 10 years. So I have 10 years of records of my life saved in this account. So this is more of a nebulous problem of like, I, I, I want to be less dependent, excuse me, on Google. And I'm so doing things like owning my own email domain. And also I want to be able to back up Gmail on a regular basis. And I've had this idea a few times and there's like command line utilities that exist. Uh, and so I'd like to be putting more effort into Google independence. Uh, that's not really a clear business idea, but 
that's just a thought I have that I'm uncomfortable with. Yeah. What's your hot take on that? Yeah, so I would, this comes up every now and then on Twitter or Hacker News or something. I, I would look at what they do. Um, I have the same fears, but, you know, not not enough to do anything about it, I guess. Um, yeah. It Even stuff like, um, I, you know, I have the Google Authenticator app on my phone, which is two-factor yeah. authentication for some accounts. Like, that's another thing that's tied to Google, you know, that is linked, yeah. now linked to other accounts. Um, I had the same problem for a long time with password managers because mm. I, I just didn't want to use one because now my passwords are you know, in the hands of someone else. Um, and not, you know, they have, they store it locally and they encrypt it and all that stuff. But mm. like, you know, if you have it generate passwords, you don't know the password to your account now. And yeah. if your like backup password or your, you know, your password recovery mechanism is also in your password manager, then, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, so yeah, I, I've had the same thoughts. Uh, I don't know the answer. Um, I do use a password manager now. I do use two factor authentication apps on my phone. So I've just sort of given into it a little bit. Um, it would be nice to be able to back up all my Gmail. Uh, I would I would worry every time I see something like that. I'm I'm like I wonder if you hitting Gmail that much would actually lock your account. <laughs> like if the act of backing it up would you know. So that would be one of my worries mm. with something like that. Um, yeah, I agree. I would just go read what other people have done and see uh, see what you can replicate. Okay, I think what I'm going to do is just make a new. Email domain, make a new email address, set that up as, as simply as possible. Maybe run my own mail server. I don't know. Uh, that, that might not be that, an issue. That's I'm not simple. using it to receive mail. <laughs> is it not? Okay. Uh, Fastmail, I think, is a competitor or okay. something. But then I'm just relying on like a different third-party service, which would be better. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I might just set up like an email API. Yeah. So, so what you can do at a minimum is set up a new domain, point the yeah. MX records at Gmail, and so you yeah. get the thing in Gmail. Um, but if you ever lose access oh, to your I Gmail control account, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can change. Yeah, now, yeah, just yeah. make sure wherever you keep your DNS records is very secure and not tied to Gmail. So, oh, well, I'll just use Google Domains where I host all of my other domains. Yep. D no. <laughs> <laughs> what do I use that? Like Namecheap? Uh, I, I have. I, I use Namecheap. Namecheap, Namecheap is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the play. But then my login for Namecheap is my Gmail address. Like, oh, man, if I lost my Google account right now, I'd be hosed. Yeah. This is a. Okay. Th this is a problem that might deserving of more of my attention uh okay cool next hot take related to this one i think i told you i had three but i just had the idea for this one now so All i right. have four now chrome extensions that require access to every page that you visit yes are so dangerous and i don't know what to do about that because if i had a chrome extension that was popular that had access to every page that someone was on Here's a trivial exploit for that. When you go to Coinbase and you send some Bitcoin to another address, I randomly, not every time, so it's difficult to track, change the address that you pasted into the input field to my own address. And now I steal a whole bunch of money. And maybe I, I do it like going out with a bang where uh, you take I the biggest like, one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe only if it's over a certain amount, I take it. And maybe once that's triggered, okay, well, now I just take everyone until Chrome shuts me down. But that makes me very nervous. Of Anyone who has a popular Chrome extension could do that. And th this thought got triggered because there was uh, there was a popular extension. I think it, uh, it, it suspended tabs. The, the Great Suspender, I think is what it was called. And the original creator of that sold it to someone who then put malware in the extension and it didn't do anything but i think they were just testing the waters of like okay this many hundreds of thousands of people have this let me open up the door for this next 
thing of i don't know maybe he could inject ads into things or replace all the amazon links with his own affiliate account or something like that and so chrome popped up and said hey this this extension has been disabled uh which like good on chrome they're doing that but there are several other extensions that i'm using that could easily be doing that uh and this this thought is sort of related with the the node modules folder is just this beast of complexity yeah. i have no idea what's in there and uh I, there was some exploit i think that i'll link this in the show notes i can't remember exactly what this was where uh someone was theorizing like how they would take over the internet with a single popular extension uh or a, a single popular node package because then that that would then become embedded in like all of these major fortune 500 uh company websites and I also don't know how to do this. This is just a problem that I face personally and a huge problem that I see in the world of like th this, the, the, the Chrome extension ecosystem and the node packages ecosystem seems incredibly vulnerable to a intelligent malicious attack. Uh, and I don't know what to do with that. What's your hot take? Yeah. So yeah, uh, you described some of the things that I was going to talk about. Um, uh, the very worst thing is this is this is happening today for sure for sure um people who get anyone who gets a popular chrome extension will suddenly start become inundated with uh requests to buy their extension and mm -hmm. they look like real requests it's like you know we have a library of chrome extensions we want to add this to ours blah 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 what they really are is fronts for people who are going to inject malware um yeah. so they buy their thing they um and then they do something like they, it doesn't even have to be malware. They could just be collecting data on what everyone visits across the internet, right? Mm -hmm. And that's super valuable. Then if they tie it back to you, then they can do things, you know, potentially maliciously then. Um, mm -hmm. And this happens very, very regularly. You just search Hacker News for like, you know, uh, buying Chrome extensions or something. You know, these stories pop up all the time. Um, so yeah, the way I do that, solve that is I have, I think, three Chrome extensions <laughs> installed on my thing. <laughs> I do not use Chrome extensions. Uh, I have an ad blocker. I have yeah. a thing that speeds up YouTube videos and I have one password. Yep. Um, and I trust each one of those, uh, basically because they're really big things that have shown that they're not going to sell their yep. extension. Uh, I do not know how to solve that either, uh, but it's definitely a thing that you have to worry about, especially if you, you know, give access to like view all your data, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I do not know the answer. Um, same with the over-reliance on Gmail, you know, like at some point you're just kind of vulnerable to these things and you have to accept some of that risk to sort of operate on the internet um, and you can be smart about it but yeah uh, you know on some level you might get hacked right so uh, that's kind of depressing but I, I don't have a good answer you have three chrome extensions mm -hmm. i just counted mine i have 45 yeah yeah a lot of people do uh i don't like that i also have the one for speed uh, here's it's it just makes everything so much more convenient there's just like these whole little pockets of oh i can make chrome so much better if i had vim keyboard shortcut bindings to it and that's a single click and now all my vim shortcuts work fantastic what else is even in here there's one that's like a whole css uh better css for gmail but now that has access to my gmail yep ah oh, man i just don't mm. maybe i have two accounts in chrome maybe i have like my convenience account that's for when i'm just browsing hacker news and i don't really care if that has access to right uh the the full contents of every page that i'm accessing and then i have a separate account that's like my actual account that's i'm logged into 
financial Gmail stuff, on that one, right? And yeah, and oh, financial stuff I, I split up. Financial okay. stuff I do in a, in a different browser, uh, but it's still tied to my email, and then my email is still logged in in, in Chrome, which I don't like. Hmm. Browsing YouTube also, but then I want to browse YouTube logged in because I have YouTube Premium, uh, so I, I want to make sure that I'm not getting ads. Man, I don't. And then there's several YouTube extensions in here of stuff that I want to. Uh, and then React development, there's like the React Chrome extension. Oh, Man. I have I have that one too. I didn't actually look. Yeah, I do have that. One. <laughs> Chris, that's four extensions. Okay, that's way too many. <laughs> <laughs> Need to reduce those by twenty five percent today. <laughs> that's right. Uh, <laughs> Like, like no, so no joke. Stuff. I, I almost built my own YouTube fast forwarder, like speed controller, because of this problem. That's what I think I want to do. Yeah, um, it, it's, maybe it's yeah. Uh, maybe this ecosystem would be better if it was all open source. But then that's the that's a, that's like what the node modules is, and that yeah. has the so, same problem. So, so no, node modules. Okay, so I can talk about that too a little. There, there was a kind of famous example recently where someone got sick of everyone like hating on their node module, and so they delisted it. And it was I don't was this left pad or was this something else? Um, that's but, the one I remember. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It, it like it's like a dependency for like everything, and so they yes. basically they basically broke development for like two days before npm yeah. finally got involved and was like <laughs> reinstated it or whatever. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's all sorts of problems with like npm that like the way that that's built. Um, yeah, I think behind, like it's so it's open source, so eventually it will be caught. Not great, but you got that. Yeah. And then you have npm behind it, so like when this person delisted it, they were able to come and like clean things up. So yes. the funniest part of that story to me is like. Who is bothering the developer of LPAD? What what extra features do you need from a function that that left pads text? Like I I feel like he probably nailed it. Like <laughs> I, uh, I don't it, it's so funny. So uh, with with that example in particular, I like that example because I feel like that showed that the the, the correct place to have the LPAD function implemented is at a language level. Sure. And yeah. I think after that Either in ESX or ES7, uh, they they added that they didn't call it LPAD. They called it like pad left or something. Uh, maybe the people rag on Apple all the time for doing this with uh, indie developers. Of like, someone will make a really great third party app that solves this obvious problem that's there, and then at the next WWDC, Apple will announce, ah, we have this incredible, innovative, brand right. new feature of our operating system, and it's it's just what that third-party app used to do and so they effectively kill the third-party app sometimes and then sometimes the, the third-party app just specializes in, and uh, does serves a smaller market so maybe the way to address this is that Chrome should be looking at the active Chrome should be looking at the most popular extensions and bundling that functionality into the browser Chrome should natively allow you to change the speed of videos maybe uh, and then that would remove the complexity of the that would remove the necessity of the of the extension, and by doing that, they would be damaging the extension market. If now developers would, I don't know, would probably be less likely to put work into an extension if they knew that uh, the best thing that could happen to them is that Chrome uh, gobbles up that functionality. What a tricky problem. Yeah. It, so it's the same thing that's like Salesforce is probably a classic example of this. Salesforce, um, they have their app store exchange thing and they have, they have, there's two really big tailwinds pushing them towards not implementing things that are apps. One is that, yeah, you just damaged that, you know, whoever, whatever company was relying on their app in your app store, if you damage them, they're going to tell other people and then other apps won't come to your app store. And then the second is just like tail or, um, Salesforce is already huge. 
but they still cannot focus on like just the really specific ones. So like mm -hmm. maybe, you know, Chrome could integrate the top, you know, three or four or five extensions, but how many are there a million, you know, like mm -hmm. they're, they're not even going to get close to all of them. So, uh, so they just don't. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a tough nut. I see the advantage, especially for someone like Salesforce, to have a an active and vibrant and optimistic app store ecosystem. Because how many times could they bundle in the features of the top extension and then suffer the news stories of like, I built my career on right. this building this company and this extension and then I had the rug pulled out from under me from Salesforce. Uh, that, that would not be a healthy thing to do. Hmm... That's a tough problem. I think for me personally, what that's going to look like is I need to go through and audit these extensions. I'm not using 45 extensions. Right. Uh, and then think of a way that I could split them up to be limiting my exposure if any one of them got compromised. Um, I mean, you, you could also disable them. So, you know, you don't even yeah. have to uninstall them. If you're just not using them, you could disable them and... Um, turn them on when for, I needed. Yeah. yeah, like day to day, I'm, I'm probably only using three extensions. I think I just need to go through some, some Marie Kondo of my extensions and find the ones that actually spark joy in my web development experience. Okay, cool. That is a huge problem that I don't think will be solved, and then I think I feel like I got to a yeah. place where I can solve it personally. All right, last hot take. My sister and my brother-in-law, and uh, as of today, maybe also my brother, <laughs> are going to be starting businesses and they are very different businesses. My brother-in-law uh, is starting a mobile mechanic business. My sister is starting a tutoring business. My brother might be starting a uh, scan scanning business. business. <laughs> yes. And surprisingly, all three of them, I think, have almost identical needs for what they would want on their website. They would want a landing page that they could customize that has like a picture of them and maybe a short little intro video or something. Uh, and I don't know, like a list of features and where they are and what their address is and uh, like a way to do bookings and to schedule things and to accept payments online. And each of them have asked me how to make a website. And I have my own way of making a website. And my way of making a website does not at all make sense for them because it would be like, okay, <laughs> first learn HTML <laughs> right. and then learn how to deploy serverless websites uh, with Firebase's CDN. And the thing that I think I want to give them is like buy a domain name and here's exactly how you buy a domain name. And then here are the buttons that you need to push to link your domain name with this thing. Uh, just like make that step as easy as possible. And then your website's gonna need a title. And it, here's the, the format of like the template of what the homepage looks like. And uh, you're gonna need an account with Stripe so that you can accept payments. And you're gonna need a booking system. So Calendly is probably the thing that you want for that. And you're gonna need a business phone number and email so people can talk to you. Uh, and let's throw Acorn Chat on there so that people can talk to you. I don't know if that would make sense for them, but <laughs> some, some way that they can be interacting with customers. Yeah. Uh, and it's on a platform where you are able to edit it at the level of abstraction that makes sense to you. So like they don't need to be writing HTML. 
but they need a way to change the content of it. I think Squarespace is like the de facto solution to this problem. And I think my siblings are in a unique position of like, they have me who can make a brand new Squarespace uh, that, that they're able to interact with. And I'm tempted <laughs> to make the Squarespace that would make the most sense for me of like, I build the platform that they can just edit the content on. And I make, I make the one central, like this is the format of the page. And this is the variable that is the background image for this one section. And here's the variable where you put in your Stripe information. Um, and I'm having trouble convincing myself not to do that and to just like <laughs> throw them to, to Squarespace. Uh, what's your hot take? Yeah, this is sort of a perennial problem. Um, I, I could go lots of different directions with this. Um, Squarespace definitely is uh, one good way to do this. I've used them before, even for some of my stuff. Um, and it's like it's super easy to get started. Um, yeah. They have the problem, though, as soon as you want to go kind of off the rails a little bit, then you either have to do custom coding or you're kind of stuck. Uh, WordPress is kind of the fix for that because there's plugins everywhere. But WordPress has so many other problems that I wouldn't uh, yeah. push that on them. Um, so... Squarespace works. Uh, okay, so there's a reason that Squarespace, that you hear it as ads for like every YouTube video ever. Um, mm -hmm. Because what you have here is a huge problem with discoverability because mm -hmm. they want to make a website. They say, I don't know how to make a website. Uh, mm -hmm. They type in how to make a website in Google and they get HTML and CSS and they say, I don't want to do that. And so how do you get that in front of people who are trying to make a website? And, um, you know, like it's just a really, really hard discoverability problem. And so I would say, if you don't know, if you don't have ideas about that, then I'd be very wary about any idea that's like a, a good, a better website builder, right? Because mm -hmm. you have to get it in front of people to sell, to sell them on it. Um, yeah. So that's one thing that the second thing is now you're going to be, now you're going to have a ton of people paying you, you know, 19, 29, $39 a month. Do you mm -hmm. want the, and who run their entire businesses on your website builder? Mm -hmm. Uh, do you want that kind of support load as a solo dev? No, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> um, so that is the other sort of half of that. And so I, I think there are great businesses that could be built here. I'm not sure if a solo, if they're great for solo devs. Um, that's kind of my hot take. The, the, the other one is, uh, so no code is kind of an answer to all of this. And there are lots of people trying to figure that out. I, I don't think the solution is out there yet. Webflow might be close, but Webflow is still kind of hard to use actually, um, unless you dive deep into it. And so... I think there will be an answer. Uh, if you want to take a crack at doing that, I think that's fine. But just know that you're going to have a discoverability problem and a support problem. So yep. you, you better have ideas for those. And how many millions of dollars has Squarespace spent? So that in both of our minds, when I describe this problem, like Squarespace is the, the right. word that pops into our heads as the solution to it. Uh, I, I, I would be so interested to see a record of my life of all of the times that I've heard a Squarespace advertisement because yeah. it's on every podcast and every YouTube channel. And yep. It's probably in the thousands. I've probably, uh, Squarespace has, has paid for my attention thousands of times. And that's amazing. And uh, probably if, if I mentioned Squarespace as a solution to my siblings, they'll be like, oh yeah, I heard about that. And I'm not quite sure where. Well, yeah, it was right. in 200 places. Right. Uh, and and I, I, I have much more appreciation for like the the sort of mass market advertising problems of you know, they're playing the game that Coca-Cola is playing of, we're just going to get this in front of people over and over and over. So that this is the thing that people think about when they're thinking about this problem. Um, yeah, that's not at all the business that I want to run. Um, 
I think that's going to make the most sense for them, though. Because I don't have any... I haven't even used Squarespace that much, so it, it, that might actually be the perfect solution to this problem. Um, yeah, Squarespace it really is really good for, yeah, if you want a basic web page, they have blogging stuff. I don't know about the booking. I guess maybe if you integrate Calendly, then that would work. Um, or yeah. Square, Squarespace might have booking. I mean, they do a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's going to make the most sense. This is not a place where I need to be spending a lot of attention. Okay. I'm just going to put them on Squarespace. And if they have specific problems with that, I can figure it out. Because I think Squarespace is pretty extensible, too. If the last time I checked, you can you can embed arbitrary HTML and JavaScript. And so, yeah, they uh, can always call you to build a little bit of code to do whatever they yeah, yeah, Yeah. And do the weird stuff. I like that. Another potential solution I was thinking to this is, like, what if they just learned just enough HTML to be able to make a website? Because that's not actually that hard. That's sort of what I'm trying to do with my learn to code course is teach people how they can get further down in the metal so that they don't run into the limits that Squarespace would be putting on you so you can do uh, any arbitrary thing. Um, yeah. And I think that's only going to make sense for people who have much more time than money. Yeah, exactly. That I've, I have done that before with people and it works really well if people are excited to learn about that as yeah. something to learn. But if someone is trying to start a new business, it doesn't make yeah. sense to learn. It, you know, it take, take a month to learn HTML. Like, that doesn't make sense. So. You have so many other things to think about. Marketing is so much more important than coding a website by hand. Okay, that makes sense. I yeah. think Squarespace it, is it's the, the reason. It's the reason why uh, restaurant uh, websites are all sort of universally bad. <laughs> it's because like <laughs> uh, it's, it's the same problem. Um, it's like it doesn't make enough. Like as long as you have like the hours and the directions and the menu, like it doesn't make yeah. enough sense to like spend a lot of money or time like optimizing yes. that website. So. I almost don't trust webs uh, trust restaurants that have a really good website. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's a chain. Yeah, because a chain then it's a bigger operation and they can afford to be uh, allocating more energy towards the website. But if a if a small independent restaurant's website is too good, I want them to be focused on the food. Right. <laughs> this is a way that I can discover you. But like, if you have a hundred energy units to spend on your business. I, as the consumer, would much rather hunt for a restaurant that was hard to find that had spent 90 of their energy units on making really good food and, like, two on discoverability and, like, right. one on level of service. I don't mind if, you know, the waiter's rude to me if the food is really good. Uh, interesting. But then, yeah, the, the mass market appeal, the restaurant that is more successful is mcdonald's the restaurant that spends their energy units in like growing bigger and uh doing more marketing sure, yeah. and, and that sort of thing but mm -hmm. no no one ever goes to the mcdonald's restaurant like uh website i mean like, like they know you know you, you don't go to the website yes. before going to a mcdonald's like, yes just go to mcdonald's <laughs> <laughs> oh there's a story i'll link in the show notes of uh in the early days of the internet someone reserved mcdonald's.com as a domain name and has an email exchange with the corporate offices at McDonald's trying to explain to them that they're trying to give them the McDonald's.com <laughs> domain name and you're having a conversation of like what that is and what that means and why it's important to McDonald's. Like oh, that's really funny. In the early days of Bitcoin, if, if you were trying to explain to someone like, I'm trying to give you a Bitcoin, like here are the things that you would need to do to accept that Bitcoin. Like no one would do that. No yeah. one's going to waste their energy on yeah. that. And it's just hilarious to see that what I'm sure now is one of the more uh, valuable domain names on the entire internet, McDonald's.com. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> trying to give it to them was was a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Uh, it's 
it's funny how that works sort of the opposite uh, thing happened with i think it's nissan nissan.com yeah. have you heard this story no uh let me just make sure uh yeah so nissan is at nissanusa.com and that's because the yeah. person who owns nissan.com will not give it to them uh they have gone to court <laughs> over this and if you go to nissan.com it's like let, let me see if this is still the case um yeah <laughs> It, it has a big flashing thing that says Nissan Motors lawsuit against us. It has, <laughs> it's like obviously a page built in the nineties. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a hilarious story about, yeah, they won't give over Nissan.com because they're like, we had this first. It's mine. And oh yeah, my gosh. so that's the opposite. Are they doing so. anything with it other than bragging? Uh, not anymore. I think it was like a personal okay. website and now it's like just saying Nissan is suing us. Don't, this isn't Nissan's website. That's so funny. Yeah. I have uh the domain in gen.co and i think there's a conference called mm. gen or something that was trying to get my gen domain con in. is a giant web giant, giant one uh it might be i don't think it's gen con i think it's i think it's something smaller uh but they like seven years ago messaged me and were like hey we'd love your domain name and we'll fly you to our conference for free if you give it to us and i was like i don't care right. gen.co is such a cool domain name so no and i'm very glad i did that uh, I actually got the domain name Gen.co, like I think 15 years ago. Little little baby Christian Genko emailed the person who had it and was like, "Hey, my name's Christian and my last name's Genko, and I think it'd be really cool if I had Gen.co because that's my name, and I, I I can pay you some money, but I don't have very much money." And it was th this woman emailed back and was like, "Of course, you can just have it. That's I'm really not awesome. Using it. <laughs> yeah, ah, the I, old uh, internet. <laughs> yeah, it was great." <laughs> And uh, I think I sent her like an iTunes gift card because that was like uh, as a thank you present because that was like a, a cool thing at the time. Uh, but yeah, it, it was I, I'm incredibly thankful to that woman because uh, that is such a cool domain name. And I, I still get like when I when I send people to my website or uh, I have the email address Christian at Gen .co, uh, and gave addresses like that to my whole family. So like my brother has Justin at Gen .co. Mm. That's cool. And every time, every little interaction like that that I have of like, oh, that, that's a cool domain name. Uh, it feels really good. It's a it's a cool piece of the internet that I'm glad I own. That is all I have. Me too. Then I will see you next week. See you next Goodbye. week. Bye.